Hey, good morning. Tyler Don Rosenquist, and this is Character and Context, although, you know, we're not going to... Well, no, we are going to do Character and Context this week. Dang. I'm just not going to deliver my general, you know, advertisement, brouhaha, all that. Actually, it's going to be a lot of brouhaha. Um, but I had a really interesting weekend, actually. I had an amazing weekend full of miracles. That will be next week's podcast. I know my voice is a little scratchy because of um, Central Texas pollen that <laughs> I haven't had to deal with in 12 years. Um, uh, but, you know, also some some fulfillments of, of just words that have been spoken over me for a long time. And it, it was amazing. But anyway, this week I am having to address some accusations, outright lies, and to verify what I do and do not teach and believe because there was a rather unpleasant drama over things that I had no idea I even believed. But when the admin of two private Facebook groups actually says it on his groups, it must be legit, right? And I'll tell you something. I usually ignore these kind of things, but I have no idea how many people shared it, you know, from the, you know, 800 group members, um, you know, as though it was gospel because that's what people do. And I need parents to uh, know the full story. They, um... And because they need to be able to trust me with their kids. And I know that parents can be skittish. And frankly, you know, we need to be skittish. You need to know um, what I would and wouldn't teach your kids. And actually, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't teach your kids almost any of this stuff. Anyway, you guys who who listen to Context for Kids, you know what I teach. Um, and and actually, the, uh, the really ironic thing is that... Um, Accusations have been made against me that make no sense in light of what I have been teaching over the past eight weeks on the radio to the kids, um, which is I've been trying to help kids get a, an, a, a foundation for their identity that is based on um, truthfulness, um uh, Yeshua, you know, I call him Jesus in the podcast, um, radio show. And, um, um, just to not be swept away with the, the gender and identity confusion that, you know, is such an epidemic right now. And kids are really suffering because of the unrealistic expectations we've put on them and trying to force them into uh, what we want them to be, you know, our ideas of what is and is not masculine and feminine. And, um, you know, so kids on the fringes, um, it makes trouble for them if a boy is um, gentle and artistic, or if a girl is, you know, like really, really, um, athletic and stuff. And, and, you know, sometimes we're not really good with that. And we, um, actually give them the idea that they're not still boys and girls and that they have to be gay if they're not, you know, fitting into these very, but, you know, uh, we can only do that if we forget people who men in the scriptures who, who weren't classically masculine and women who weren't classically feminine. 
Okay. We're um, forcing them into um, really social constructs. Some of them have only existed um, for the past 100, 200 years or, or a lot less. Anyway, to get to this, um, um, you know, fortunately, I, I had friends in these groups. And you know what? I'm not going to do to them what they did to me. I'm not going to name the groups. I'm not going to name the person who did this. I did have it up on my wall just because I felt I need to address it right away. And especially um, when they were refusing to take it down. And still one of the groups um, has refused to take it down and it's going on three days now. And so I put this off um, addressing this online or I mean um, on the um, podcast because um I wanted to be sure my heart was in the right place. Actually, I wanted to be sure I wasn't retaliating. I wanted to be sure I was calm. Um, but I also really wanted parents to know what is and is not going on with me. Um, so I'm going to read what he wrote, you know, little section by little section. Um, and then I'm going to give commentary and I'm going to actually read what was actually said by me okay and others and um so we can i can show you what's what's going on but i'm not wanting to out anybody i'm just wanting to really address what what is true and and i took my post down on social media once i decided to go off wall with it um, so, okay, here we go. Earlier today, I was unfriended by a teacher in, um, in air quotes. Okay. Who posts and comments regularly. Um, I'm not sharing this because I am bitter. This is a report of what she is teaching and how she responded. Okay. Context. Yes, I absolutely unfriended him. And, you know, it's one of those cases where it's been a long time coming. Uh, boundaries are a positive thing. I had posted this really cool book quote from Kevin Pendergrass's book, Blinded by the Bible, and it's a great read. Really brings up the problems with a lot of our paradigms and how we interpret the Bible. And it's just, uh, it's a great wake up call to really begin to think about what we're doing and why and, and where these methods actually come from. Because we, we'll often think, you know, that's always been it's the way it is. And, and it's not. Uh, anyway, um, I'm really enjoying this book and, uh, it's last time I looked, it was on sale on Kindle on Amazon prime for two ninety nine, which is a real steal. Um, anyway, this is what I originally wrote. Oh, cheese. Our hypocrisy is showing so epic. If we're going to acknowledge that abominable practices were, you know what, actually I'm going to read the book quote first. Okay, and then I'm going to get my commentary. Okay, most Christians are willing to admit there is a fluid change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Yet many believe that the New Testament is prescriptively fixed, meaning that while God accommodated trajectories and allowed immoral practices, um, you know, like slavery and misogyny, to be incorporated into the Old Testament, all the specific instructions in the New Testaments are unchanging, binding, and absolute. So that's a very Christian point of view. Um, I don't think anyone would say that that wasn't a Christian point of view. Okay. 
um, very mainstream Christian. Um, and so I said, ouchies, our hypocrisy is showing so epic. If we're going to acknowledge that abominable practices were allowed and regulated in the Old Testament as a cultural accommodation and starting place, you know, I'm talking about slavery here especially, um, we must understand the New Testament in the same light. You can't have it both ways. Either we go back to the patriarchal norm of the Old Testament where it is not just any man um, or even the husband, a woman's husband, but the oldest man in every family in charge of everyone, no matter what age, and able to decide what his sons will do for a living, whom they will marry, how they'll worship, etc. And back to the days where you and your sons and daughters can be owned as chattel slaves. Yes. And yes, the Bible allows generational permanent chattel slavery as long as said slaves are not Israelites. That we have to keep following the path of wisdom. Um, which I would, I would say, I didn't say this in here, which is laid out in the Bible. All right. Um, and striving toward the perfection that will be fully realized, the, the fully realized kingdom of God on earth. Man and woman were made that Salem, image, uh, slash idol, it's actually the word for idol, of God, so that they could rule and reign over creation wisely, not over other image bearers. You know, is Yeshua our king or not? So, anyway, that's what I wrote as commentary on this verse that, that really takes Christianity, you know, all of us to task for saying, you know, there is a fluid change. The Sermon on the Mount really is very um, groundbreaking as far as commanding us to a higher level of behavior, thought, um, everything than the Torah that didn't specify these things. So, um, so for context, he would be referring to the fact that although Paul never endorsed slavery um, and said that slave and free are equal in Christ, well, he never forbade it either, okay? And Pendergrass made the point that Paul, and I agree with this, probably could never foresee a world without slavery. You know, really, uh, no one except the Ebionites really seemed to object to it until the 1800s. Um, where in, you know, there was no mass awakening and a push to eradicate it based upon the command to love neighbors as ourselves. I actually didn't find the post at all controversial, but just a really great point. Um, we don't approve of holy war and genocide. We don't require women to be silent in the congregations, and neither did Paul, as that seemed to ref simply reflect a local thing in Ephesus at that time. You know, we wouldn't consider it immoral for slaves to escape, and most of us these days would harbor them, or at least I hope we would. Nor would we think it acceptable for American soldiers to go overseas and genocide everyone in a village except the virgins and forcibly take them as wives. Now, if you've read my book, Context for Adults, then you know why these laws were enacted and why they were mostly an improvement on the way the rest of the world did those things and why they were better off that way. Um... But we would consider such things war crimes now, and, and rightly so. Yet they were an improvement on the brutality of the ancient Near East. Okay, let's continue with his allegations. 
A month or so back, Tyler Down, Tyler Don Rosenquist shared a post about how polygyny, one man marrying more than one woman, and slavery laws are done away with in the New Covenant. Okay, let's stop right there. I actually didn't say that. Here's the original post. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't edit or anything. And if I have to, I will put a link in there. But I don't want to out him because it's obvious who he is if you read the post. Okay, polygyny. The ancient patriarchal social construct that determined that for the purposes of political alliances, production of heirs, and a rich and powerful man's lust. I mean, you know, Solomon, right? <laughs> men and women aren't equal in any way, shape, or form because men deserve exclusive sexual power over their wives, but wives had no such privilege when it came to their husbands. Thank God that the overwhelming majority of men do understand that this is faithlessness to the wife of their youth. Moses limited it as part of his allowances to the hardness of heart of the culture at large, um, as well as divorce per Yeshua, uh, you may call him Jesus, in Mark 10. Okay, this was the word allowance was Yeshua's words, not mine. That's me talking here now, not in the original post. Along with strict limitations on the evil of chattel um, generational slavery, because it is a horrible thing for anyone to own and oppress a fellow image bearer, um, be they enslaved or spouse. But in uh, Mark 10, 9, Yeshua says this, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. But what does this mean in context and in clear language? The context is one man and one woman being joined and him leaving the home of his parents, which they actually didn't practice, by the way. Men remained in their father's home and brought their wives with them, you know, so much for Hebraic culture being a faithful reflection of God's will, right? And when I say Hebraic culture, I'm going to, you know, put that in air quotes because that was just ancient Near Eastern culture, not Hebraic. Um, so, and Yeshua said, what God has joined together... And I'm going to put in parentheses because this is me. In a covenant relationship of which he is the central player, let not person, and I put that in air quotes, and that is anthropos, generic human being, um, let not person separate, um, divide, come between, cause to withdraw or depart from. That's what that word separate means. Now, polygyny in the Bible is always a destructive force within the family. Jacob's sons, Leah and Rachel, Hannah and Peninnah, David's sons, Solomon's destruction of the kingdom, etc. Um, it's because another person, or many, or hundreds in the case of Solomon, um, is separating husband and wife. There's no way around it. The woman has a divided husband, and a divided home, and a divided life, and the children have a divided father. The man has a smorgasbord. The incoming wife is a separator. And the husband and she both are adulterers. That sin compromised David and led to the rape of Bathsheba and the rivalries between the sons of different mothers before and after his death and led to the death of a lot of them. Now, Yeshua doesn't have multiple wives, but one wife, the church. We aren't all individual brides, but a collective. I am not a bride, but we are the bride. 
So let's look at Ephesians 5, 25 through 28, the ESV. Husbands, and that's the plural, love your wives, which is also in the plural, but it is the direct object of plural husbands. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, church is singular, and gave himself, singular, up for her, singular, that he might sanctify her, singular, having cleansed her, singular, by the washing of water with the word, so that he, singular, might present the church, singular, to himself, singular, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, singular, might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands, plural, should love their wives, plural, as their own bodies. He, singular, who loves his wife, singular, loves himself. All right. And I will have this all in a, in a, um, transcript on my, on ancientbridge.com. All right. And that'll go up the same time as this does. Um, what man is willing to love himself by sharing his wife with multiple husbands? Clearly not the men believing it's a good thing to have more than one wife. If they treat their own bodies to multiple women, then they must love their wives by allowing her to have multiple husbands. Of course, you know, wives generally have no interest in this. We do desire our husbands, and uh, too many of them use it against us, just as Yahweh warned us would happen as a consequence of that relationship broken in the garden. First Timothy clear is First Timothy three is clear in the qualifications of Christian leadership and good standing. Each man must be the husband of one wife. If not, if he came in with more than one wife, which, you know, wasn't common in Greco-Roman times, wasn't unheard of either. You know, some Jewish men still consider the lack of a Torah commandment outright outlawing it tantamount to making it a male prerogative. Um, but to be a leader within the body of Messiah, it was not permitted. Titus 1 repeats this prohibition because a Christian home cannot tolerate oppression. Oppression of a spouse is a violation of the covenant and therefore grounds for divorce. When Yahweh divorced Israel, it was due to oppression and idolatry. The prophets actually spoke of oppression as much or more than idolatry as Yahweh's reasons for anger. The Mormons ignored this and black Mormons, air quotes, um, which is insider talk, for polygamous sex, uh, still do this. Um, so anything, any doctrine, any tradition that gives a man permission to run wild with his lust or longings for another woman is conditioning, is condoning, sorry, the oppression of the wife of his youth and adultery. Anything, any doctrine that pre prevents his wife for, from confronting and holding him accountable for his sin is oppression and a violation of the bilateral covenant of marriage. And anyone who is telling women to submit to this is also an oppressor. Any woman who does this needs desperate prayer because no one would accept this as healthy if it had not been inflicted, inflicted or afflicted on them as some sort of way to please God by being treated as an inanimate object. I'm going to take a little sip. Uh, you know, this Texas pollen. It, it just really gets you. And I'm still in my post here from that one day. Um, you know, it seems like holiness to submit ourselves as women to a man's oppressions 
dehumanizing us. And I've heard so many heartbreaking testimonies from women over the last 24 hours, but it is decidedly unholy. This was back in April, by the way. When we look at scripture with an eye to see what we can get away with instead of what, with the goal of spurring us on to an end of oppression and, you know, radical self-sacrificial love, the Bible becomes a weapon. When we grasp onto Moses' allowances as rights and invitations to do as we will to others, evil is never far behind, be it in terms of the justification of chattel slavery, the degradation and dehumanization, dehumanizing of women, or the beating of children. You know, has anyone else read the abuse manual to train up a child? It damages the souls of all involved, and for what? Nothing of righteousness or justice. And it's damning their husbands, not saving them. That is not what love does. Love cares enough to confront. Contempt inspires silence. Um, and, and that was my post that one day. Okay, obviously nothing here about claiming that the new covenant did away with the polygyny laws. And I put laws in air quotes because they were allowances. However, I do not believe that either polygyny, misogyny, or slavery, or genocide are compatible with the gospel. I stand firm on that. No apologies. Okay. And, you know, that's that's the way the kingdom of heaven has advanced. All right? All right, here's back to his. On that post, I said this approach was a slippery slope. These commands are part of God's eternal law. If we say that some of God's law isn't eternal and good, and good and righteous, then before long, we will be cutting out other things as well. All right. Obviously rewriting what I said, but okay. The allowances of Moses for the culture, you know, AKA um, what scholars call cultural accommodation were in many ways, good and righteous for the times. Righteous is a legal term, meaning when two things are weighed in the balance, one comes out right and the other wrong like um, Tamar and Judah. He says she's more righteous than I am. So even if we don't approve what she did, um, what Judah did was worse, and he denied her her legal rights. Anyway, that's for another time. Um, so compared to the laws of the ancient Near East, Torah was... Torah is very righteous, okay? But we cannot ignore the words of Yeshua when he plainly stated that some of what is there makes allowances for hard-heartedness. That's Mark 10. And I definitely put slavery and polygyny in that category, along with quite a few other laws that we would never want to see followed now, like forcing POW virgins into marriages after slaughtering their families. Torah wasn't given in a vacuum and it was the beginning of the, it was the beginning of the legal conversation between God and men and not the end. And, you know, the Jews totally get this. It's just that people, you know, coming into this, um, you know, quote unquote Torah observant people, they're the ones that don't understand. All right. Okay. Back to his. Well, today she shared what's in the pictures below and unfriended me when I commented. Okay. Yes, I did. <laughs> it was a long time coming. I have been far more patient with him than with most. You know, I no idea why. Um, so here's what happened. The first commenter decided to change the subject and made insulting remarks about 
sodomites, his word, not mine, and how this sort of thing will lead to their justifying their perversion, his words, not mine, which had zero to do with the topic. And when I corrected him on his use of sodomite, he and this other gentleman decided that I was waving a rainbow flag or something. You know, what I said was this. Okay. When he challenged me, you know, on, on homosexuals, I will not use that term again. Well, um, use what the other guy wrote as, you know, as, you know, to further their agendas. Okay. And I said, you know, I would rather, cause he said it was a slippery slope and that it was dangerous. And I said, you know, I would rather err on the side of people going too far sexually than in the oppression allowed even during the first century. Um, I believe that we are too quick to credit humans with rebellion that we are, than we are to credit the spirit with the ability to lead us in the right direction. And the sin of Sodom wasn't sexual perversion. There were shame rape gangs violating foreigners, not because of sexual attraction, because that's, that was an ancient Near Eastern power play. It was symptomatic of the larger problem of oppression, which is what Ezekiel labels their sin as. Men don't go around raping other males in the ancient world because of desire. It was a way to strip them of honor by treating them as women. It isn't even remotely what we have in the world today. It was treating men like women. And the victim, and not the perpetrator, was shamed. Uh, Leviticus reversed that and made sure the rapists were subjected to penalties. All right? Now, getting this wrong is one of my pet peeves. All right? And the person who said it was a teacher, who is, is a teacher, who should know better. And a scholar backed me up on my take of what happened in Sodom. Leviticus 18.22 reversed the pattern in the a and &E world. The raped man wasn't shaped wa shamed while the rapist was honored because it made both sides of the homosexual relationship shameful. And so, you know, so no more double standard. And so all the more the shame would be on a rapist, right? Uh, that being said, you know, I don't believe anything in scripture would support the shaming of a rape, a male rape victim just because the crime happened to involve male penetration, which is inherent in the Leviticus 1822 um, prohibition, as I explain later in a comment that was conveniently not posted along with the original one. I also made it clear that slurs against homosexuals um, are not okay with me. All right, um, going on on his thing. This is why I speak up against when folks denounce polygyny and slavery as, air quotes, absolute evil and abolished by the new covenant. It's not popular. I get almost no love for it. Some folks PM me and thank me for taking the hits. The truth is that God allowed men to have slaves and allowed husbands to marry more than one wife as long as she wasn't taken despite the first wife. I've got problems with that, but okay. God also sanctioned the destruction of babies. Our cultural morality needs to take a back seat to God's. Okay. <laughs> um, when there is a justification for changing the standard of what God allows to continue, um, God 
doesn't ever endorse the continuation of sin. This is still his. It never stops there. The justifications keep rolling. Before you know it, the sin of Sodom is redefined and Leviticus 18's prohibition against homosexuality is rewritten off as a cultural polemic against A&E rape gangs. Thanks for asking this question. Okay, obviously a cheap shot across my bow. And I had had enough at this point. You know, I mean, enough of the assumptions. Enough of the chest beating about taking hits and getting no love and being thanked by, you know, all these people. Uh, so, yeah, I unfriended him. And, yeah, that was a little bit <laughs> facetious there. Um, But uh, I admit it, no apologies. And I locked the entire post down because the post had become about homosexuality while the actual context had been lost about our double standards. Okay, I was at the airport and I had a long day ahead where I knew I wasn't getting home until at least midnight, and I just didn't have the patience. I mean, I started out the airport at 8 o'clock that morning, and I actually didn't get home until 2 because, you know, with all the flight delays and everything now. But I did get home. Um, I was so glad to be home. You have no idea. <laughs> anyway, I actually drank, what was it, two or three sweet teas, which I don't do. I don't do caffeine, and I don't do sugar, but I'm so tired. Anyway, um... Going back to the point, um, but you know, it was totally worth it because the conference was beyond my wildest dreams. Okay, um, so uh, back to his thing. To summarize, she's saying that because we have moved forward from and abolished slavery and polygyny from the Old Testament revelation, we can do similarly with the New Testament revelation pertaining to women in positions of leadership. It's like, whoa, there, whoa, 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 whoa. This is literally the first mention of women in positions of leadership in everything that I've read today. What the heck? I, you know, I do personally teach whoever will listen, obviously, and would never tell a man that he can't listen to me. I also say that we have to be sensitive to the spirit and not close our eyes and ears to when God calls someone to leadership regardless of gender, and I do point out the instances of female leadership in the New Testament and, you know, the Old Testament corpus, all right? But he just added one plus one and got the letter W, all right? Now, I did point out that Yeshua pointed us to a much better way, obviously, and there are a lot of things that we recognize now to be cultural accommodation and a starting place toward how things will be in the new Jerusalem. I don't feel that's controversial. I also never said that anything was abolished from the Old Testament revelation. I mean, it's still written there, right? I'm not endorsing rewriting the Bible, but I do make it clear that the world has changed since the cross. And, and now that women are educated, we shouldn't feel bound by the restriction that existed in Ephesus. Um, when in Corinth, Corinth, it obviously wasn't practiced as per Paul's own words and by his approval. Um, you know, that's it. Okay, so back to, she was pressed about her position and her answer was simply heresy. Um, I assume he's talking about my correction of what happened in Sodom and why calling them Sodomites is misleading as Ezekiel himself tells us in chapter 16, verses uh, 49 through 52. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, 
and prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Um, Samaria has not committed half your sins. You have committed more abominations than they and have made your sisters appear righteous by all the abominations you have committed. Bear your disgrace, you also, for you have intervened on behalf of your sisters because of your sins in which you acted more abominably than they. They are more in the right than you. So be ashamed, you also, and bear your disgrace, for you have made your sisters appear righteous. Okay, is Ezekiel guilty of redefining the sin of Sodom? I mean, you don't even get to the point where rape gangs are roaming the streets unless there is first a systematic and severe level of oppression and wickedness going on. Um, you know, rape gangs aren't what people do as their first step into oppression. And a major New Testament scholar backed me up on it. Is he guilty as well? In fact, you won't find serious scholars making the claim that the sin of Sodom is homosexuality because serious scholars know their Bible too well to make that mistake and peer review would actually tear them apart. It's only the un- and undereducated who make this error. So uh, count Ezekiel among the heretics. Now, what I was pressed about and and refuse to answer, but I will answer later, okay? Um, is if I meant that I endorsed homosexuality. Now, you have to know me, all right? And I despise people changing the subject on my posts and trying to force me along with their agenda so that, you know, it's it's they've turned it into something that I'm talking about and they've decided to make comments where they're going to now preach their agenda in their way. And I'd had a long day already, and I was being toyed with, and the guy demanding the answer wasn't even acknowledging his error after I corrected him. He just sidestepped and was interrogating me, based on nothing but assumption. Okay? Like I said, I've taken these threads down, so unless you were there, you don't know who this is about. All right? I'm not trying to destroy anybody here. Um, And... um. In private messages after I, I locked it down because I was sick of the nonsense and, you know, that agenda having taken over, he demanded that I answer him or else he would be forced to assume I supported it. You see, that's just a huge mistake with me. I have lived with that sort of manipulation and threats, you know, and it in the past, and it just doesn't work with me. I will refuse to answer every time because it's out of line. Um, I don't like to encourage that sort of behavior, but I will answer it in a bit because now it's my choice. All right. Um, okay. Back to his, um, thing. She recently just taught at a women's conference in Dallas, Texas, and folks need to be aware of what she's teaching. Um, I teach everything out in the open. Uh, and so it isn't really even in question. And now he's going to make a list of claims that are kind of weird. And remember that until I unfriended him, he wasn't raising any concerns about my teachings. And I'm going to take another drink because it's getting scratchy again. Oh, okay. I love tea. I've never drank coffee in my life. I think it smells yucky. <laughs> I actually sipped it once. It's like gross, but I love a good Earl Grey. Decaf, because I don't do caffeine. <laughs> um... 
Anyway, so yeah, until I unfriended him, he never raised a single concern about my teachings. All right. Uh, so he says, she's teaching that the apostles oppressed women and taught oppression. Whoa, what? Has ever anyone ever heard me say such a thing? <clears throat> On the contrary, I often make a point of talking about how positively egalitarian they were compared to the world around them. They looked like liberals, for goodness sake, compared to the surrounding culture in this area. Okay, so this is a flat out lie. He made it up. It can't even be argued coherently from anything that I've ever taught. I've made it plain that Paul set up a definite trajectory toward a more balanced relationship between men and women, and especially in the congregations. 20% of the leadership of the early church that he cites were women. He called Junia an apostle, and others were deacons and such, all right? Oppressive? Heck no! But um, they were downright progressive. <laughs> but they did also um, practice cultural accommodation based upon the cities they were in and the specific concerns. Uh, Paul told masters to slave, treat their slaves as equals. I just, I don't know where this comes from, but it must involve some really creative eisegesis on what I've said in the past. Um, uh Next quote from him, she's apologizing for modern same-sex activity as not what God forbid, and that's, he, it should have been forbade, but I put a S-I-C in there, because that's, um, in Leviticus uh, 18 through 19. Um, no, but I did clean up some bad context on the slur sodomite. I never said anything about Leviticus 18 through 19 not referring to homosexuality. A homosexual, however, isn't a rapist just, and just because men rape men doesn't make those rapists homosexual. It's about power now and then. Rape isn't something, or rape is something that violent people do regardless of sexual orientation. Has nothing to do with lust, has nothing to do with desire. It's a violent act. Um, next thing. I explain my position a bit in my comment on her post, but I'll give a brief answer. All of God's laws are good, and we need to lean on his understanding and not on our own, even when it comes to marriage, slavery, genocide, and who can lead ministry, etc. Until she repents of what she's teaching, she should be unfollowed. So, his take is, unless something is outright outlawed, we can't call it bad, and therefore it must be righteous. He defends slavery, polygyny, etc., and is very vocal about it. Um, he's done it on my wall for a long time. I won't detail his teachings or even name him, but I am responding to the lies and charges and twisting of what I have said and believe. Um, am I an apologist for homosexual behavior? No. I do believe the Bible clearly outlaws it. Um, both in the, um, the Old and New Testament. Okay. However, and this is where the confusion comes in. What the Bible describes is not what we know today either. It was describing sex, pure and simple, and actually only male homosexuality for that matter in the Old Testament. Paul is the first to even mention women, and he didn't do that until near the end of his life when he wrote Romans. So what would be said now about committed relationships between same-sex people? 
I don't know. But I do fall on the side of there still being a prohibition. All right? What I do know is that I love those people who are same-sex attracted. If Fred Phelps rose from the grave and was chasing them down the streets with a gun, I hope I would have the courage to hide them and care for them in my own home before allowing them to die. All right? And even dying, you know, in their place. All right? Before I would allow it. So I don't approve, but I also wouldn't dream of allowing them to come to harm. But then don't we all disapprove of this or that in another person's life? Um, why does this one loom so large when worse sins like gossip run unchecked in our congregations and not just gossip? I do not see it as being any more offensive than other things described as abominations like eating unclean meats, dishonest scales, um, and this entire section of Proverbs 6, uh, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Honestly, given the choice between being in a church full of gays and lesbians and being in a church full of the people in Proverbs 6, there is no contest. And frankly, those abominations describe very well what happened in that group. Um, two of them, actually, of which he is at an admin over on uh, Monday. And in the fact that uh, the post in the one remained up for over 24 hour while the admin, the group of admins couldn't decide if it was wrong or not, and that the only person involved who has apologized or tried to make things right um, was the one person who had nothing to apologize for. All right? And if this was just a matter of adults thinking these things about me and believing the lies, I wouldn't really care, because it's happened before, and I don't address it. But my primary ministry is to kids, and for the last seven weeks, specifically trying to help them deal with gender and identity confusion in particular so that they can have a firm foundation. I mean, that's the irony of this situation. I am trying to keep kids out of all that. And here I am being slandered as an apologist. The timing doesn't seem at all that coincidental to me, okay? Parents need to trust me and they need to know what I do and do not teach and what my ministry aims are in teaching kids about the Bible. This is a hobby for me, although, you know, I'm not paid for it either. <laughs> um, I'm tired of watching kids fall away from the faith when they grow up. I'm tired of them not being able to answer the hard questions. And I hate it when they are so sheltered that they're caught off guard by objections that they have nothing but easy answers and platitudes to offer you know, that are easily knocked down by even an unbeliever of moderate intelligence. I want them to know who God is, who they are, and the purpose of his words to us. It bothers me deeply to think that parents would be scared of me because of what they've heard from someone with an axe to grind simply because I believe slavery and polygyny to be incompatible with the gospel Yeshua preached. Um, And you know what else I'm tired about? I'm tired about teenagers and homosexuals committing suicide 
because they're confused and because they're trying their best to deal with the world that we've created for them. And when we're loving them, we're driving them away from God and we're being vicious and vile and we're sounding like how the world slanders people. All right. I'm tired of it. I'm not willing to be guilty. I'm not. Anyway, um, next week I will have to let you know about the miracles that happened at Surge Women's Conference in Texas, but not Dallas. He was wrong about that too. And especially those related to my health and my ministry future and a whole bunch of words that have been spoken to me over years and years and years and years that now make sense that didn't before. Anyway, um, hey guys, thanks for listening to me and thanks for giving me a time to clear the air about what happened and, you know, please no private messages and, um, emails. I'm, you know, not going to be talking about, you know, who it was or anything in private. Um, anyway, take care guys. See you next week.